Welcome to Forecast, the foreshadow podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. Foreshadow is a spirituality literary magazine rooted in the Christian faith. This season, our theme is Called Forth, Vocation and Faith, asking who we are called to become and what we are called to do. I'm Josh, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Will, for our final episode of the season. We will recap the second half of this season, overviewing the episodes we've covered, and then sharing takeaways on what we've learned about vocation and faith. So hello, Will. Hey, Josh. Good to be here today. Yes. And this is a kind of a sequel to our mid-season update, so that should be good. It is. It is indeed. Yeah. We're hopefully going to uh, answer all of the <laughs> questions and solve all the problems and give the definitive definition of vocation and calling today. Indeed. That's a high calling, but we'll, we'll try. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Getting punny on us. All right. Yeah. We, I, but in all seriousness, um, yeah, we're, we're mostly here to offer some reflections and to think through some of the uh, ways in which we've personally been challenged, I would say, uh, similarly to what we did in the midseason, but also to, to offer some sort of continued sketch or map of uh, maybe a more robust map now of these terms and how they are sort of uh, experienced and lived out. But before we do that, I think we were gonna just do a quick little anecdotal personal update. So Josh, what's new in your world? I wouldn't say there's too much new stuff to share. Um, our son Caleb is almost um, a nine months old now. He's being more mobile, um, kind of rolling around on the floor a lot more and sitting up. And um, I think he's um, finished one stage of the teething. So that's a bit of a relief. Uh, yeah, numbers one and two are things I can identify with rolling around on the floor. <laughs> and being a little more mobile. Uh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. You just got a little mini you running around now. <laughs> yeah. Um, people often say, I mean, it's it's interesting trying to see what part of the family, um, my side or Mir Miriam, my wife's side, he comes from. And there's just different um, expressions he gives that come from either side. And um, some people say one half of his face looks like me and the, and the other half looks like her. It's, but it's really interesting how so many pieces of someone's ancestry can all merge into one person. Yeah, yeah. You've got that kind of uh, the Hawaiian word, as I think, is hapa kind of kid going on. So that's that's cool. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess that's kind of what we're doing in this episode, too, is tying together all sorts of threads into one, into one um, coherent whole. But yes, what's new with you? Well, um, the the world is spinning faster, at least over here in in uh, Athens, Georgia. Uh, that's mostly because school stuff is really picked up. The semester draws nigh, uh, <laughs> which is hard to believe. Well, we passed. We recently passed the midterm point, but from the midterm point on to the end, it's definitely a race, and it's very full of things, things to grade for me, mm. uh, things I need to be, turn in to be graded as well. So yeah, you know the usual student uh, uh, slog, uh, but apart from that, it's we had a cold front move in recently, so it was really crisp and really got down to uh, uh, zero degrees Celsius for all uh, okay. Celsius wow. people out there. 
Wow. Uh, very recently. Yeah. Gosh. It's kind of kind of a fluke for this time of the year. It's warming up again a little bit, but the fall is definitely here. The, le- the leaves are changing colors. Where Josh and I grew up, that's not really a thing that happens. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, so my wife and I have been really loving uh, just experiencing this more of a seasonal reality. I know people who live in further north places will laugh at me being in Georgia and talking about the seasons. But up here in North Georgia, we really do get them. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful change of scene here in the fall. So we're, nice. we're enjoying it. That's that's really nice. I never I didn't realize that in Georgia you do get the seasons like that. So, because um, I I think of it as just kind of south and like kind of lumping it with Florida and, but no, that's that must be great. It is. It is. Yeah, even North Florida, for that matter, does okay. get, does get some of that, depending upon what sort of foliage is accessible to you. But yes, yeah, we're we're right at the base of like the Appalachian mountain range, and so nice. So you get in those foothills, we get wow. some. Of maple trees, oak trees, stuff like that, and various flora and fauna uh, uh, that yeah, more keeping with things that you would expect in these uh, deciduous environments. Nice. Anyway, yeah. Well, um, w- we missed you on our last episode with Jarrell. Um, it actually came out uh, today when we're mm-hmm. recording this. Um, but uh, I know you have a lot of... Um, input to give as being a music studying musicology and with your background so um so i'd love to hear your thoughts on the conversation um what did you think of the article what did you think of jarell and my take of the article yeah i think that well there's a lot of things that 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 come to my mind um one of one of the first things is is even i think well-informed commentators and I'm, i'm i'm going to fall into the trap that i'm that i'm suggesting right now and a cat in the background is complaining about it too um but uh i think even some well-informed commentators often frame some of these conversations or these debates uh or speculations as it were which is what i would call this congregational singing article uh in some ways semi-speculative um uh they frame it in a way that is that precludes certain insights and or other sort of like considerations, um, uh, whether those are cultural, racial, and even sort of like con- musical and conception. It's just coincidental that my whole like area of study and interest and fascination since I first went to seminary and then came to uh, 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 study musicology and ethnomusicology here is in this sort of realm. Um, and so, uh, and, and as a practitioner, I mean, we've talked about it before, as someone who sort of was a quote, worship leader, uh, thinking through what congregational song is, how it functions, who does it function for, what does it do, how is it accomplished? Those mm-hmm. are things that have, that, have, that have been on my mind, the questions behind it, not just participating in whatever my sort of, narrower experiences of those things might have been. And that's required looking at alternative traditions, not alternative, but just a range of traditions, physically experiencing those traditions in their spaces. Mm. And then, and then talking to people, lay, we'll say lay people, um, and, uh, clergy alike to see 
what it is they think is happening when when music abounds in their spaces, let alone when congregations gather to sing. Okay. I, I, to address the article more head on, I could get on board with the with a sort of notion that there is a certain weirdness and peculiarity that comes in contemporary, and when I say contemporary, I mean now in time, not style, um, right. in contemporary church spaces that people do gather to sing because apart from concert experiences, which are numerous and, and though the pandemic, you know, obviously affected the capacities for people to gather, this is, this is not, I mean, the, people are going back to going to big shows and stuff. That's, that's evident all around me in, in this small town of Athens, let alone on just my awareness. And I'm sure the listeners mm -hmm. awareness of huge festivals that abound people are going back to these spaces. However, yeah, I, I would agree. It's You don't finish making a copy at the copy machine at your office and then burst into song usually with the people around you unless right. you work with the Seven Dwarves or, or something like that. It's not something that is, is familiar, I think, to um, people in sort of the... Uh, in, I, I hesitate to use... Uh, qualifying words like the Western context or something like that, or the developed world, because there are always exceptions to this rule. Um, but yeah, it is not, it's certainly not unfamiliar. It's certainly not uncommon in other spaces and or in parts of the global South still for people to communally music together. And when I say music together, I borrowing from a, a, a scholar, he's passed away now, a Kiwi guy, guy from New Zealand called Christopher Small, who talks about musicking, uh, as a mm. verb, like mm. music is something that's necessarily an active, agential sort of thing. Like you, you do it, you, you participate in it. Okay. Even as a listener in some capacities, it's not something that passively ever happens. It, it requires sort of energy, um, okay. and, and, and practice of some sort and, and engagement. <clears throat> so musicking in that sense, um, uh, I think I, th I think abounds all over the world. In our contexts, again, you in Britain and me in the U.S. Are people musicking together all that often? Let alone, are they singing together? You know, I'm not as pessimistic. I think as the article suggests. I think that I think we have there are narrower parameters put forth in the in the article about how that might happen or take place and what content substantiates. Um, what kind of content substantiates that kind of musicking that I'm less concerned with. Um, I think there are numerous ways to go about participation and even just saying the words congregational song. That's, that's such a spectrum of like, of, mm -hmm. of kinds of musicking and materials that might get engaged. I will, as someone who's been up front and been in the midst of a congregation and someone now who's sort of, for lack of a better term, divorced from that activity. Um, I, 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 I can say that um, I was, I've always been struck and bothered by what I felt was sometimes um, musical activities in certain spaces as a liturgical afterthought. It was an aesthetic ad. Mm -hmm. um, 
and something that we invited people to participate into, but we did it very curiously in terms of platforming a band, literally raising them up above a mm -hmm. congregation, yeah. amplifying only a certain group of people that said band or whatnot, right. and having them sing out over people. There's something to be said for that as an, uh, as an image of something cool, maybe. But that like that there is this ex expectation people can't see me on the screen, but I'm putting one hand higher than the other. There is a there's a, a fundamental visible hierarchy that exists in that. There's a sonic hierarchy yes. in that space too. There's a qualifications hierarchy in that space then as well. That these people are good at music and playing instruments or whatever, and these people uh, apparently are not. So they don't do that thing. These people do that thing, but they come together in some sort of liminal space of a song that is created. The congregation's role is sort of glorified choir um, <clears throat> or respondent, but the congregation in those kinds of spaces are also afforded the opportunity to just listen and to let yes. something kind of come to them and wash over them. I, I wouldn't, again, I, going back to a more generous definition of musicking, I wouldn't, I wouldn't preclude that kind of experience from uh, <clears throat> being non-participational. It's just a different kind of participation. Um, <clears throat> now, if you want us to all get, if you want us to have a very equitable musicking experience, we all need to sit in a circle. We all need to sing a cappella, or everyone holds the same instrument. You know what I'm saying? And, mm -hmm. and it gets a little bit uh, <clears throat> almost, you know, communistic in terms of. Uh, uh, how this distribution of, of, of material and, and access and, and agreed upon method and content, literally, how that stuff uh, <clears throat> is <clears throat> practiced and, 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 and or disseminated. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've probably said a lot of things that are confusing and not coherently linked together. Um, all to say... Uh, if I can sum it up more neatly here for one, you and myself and the listener. Um, I, I don't think congregational song is dead. It's certainly not. I mean, every, almost every church I can think of has some sort of musicking practice. I think we need different sort of frameworks and categories for understanding how those, how people music now uh, and in what ways is it resonant and important and impactful in their lives. I do think we need, I think if churches are serious about the ways in which they music and that music is supposed to, um, is, is meant to have some sort of functionality beyond itself um, that points to either the activity or that is, is meant to pointedly be the activity of worship or is meant to uh, accomplish some other sort of Thing. again function is the word I'm thinking of um, then they need they need either sort of articulated theologies of or at least explanations um, and then mechanics that help support that that I that goal and I think a lot of churches skip that step um, that's my read that's that's <laughs> a hot that's sort of a hot take but well that's really that's that's really interesting to hear that um, and knowing that this episode is, we won't have too much more time to talk about this article now, but just really quickly, I'm wondering, can you give um, more specifics into how that might look for a church? Yeah. I mean, I, I gave a kind of silly example of, of, of addressing a hierarchy and then saying, and then if you really were serious about people participating and in, in this sort of, at least in uh, uh, 
uh, father Crosby, I'll call him father, uh, and Benjamin, <laughs> Benjamin Crosby's um, uh, sort of argument, um, then you're, re you're, you're recovering older traditions of musicking that may not be relevant. But if you can contextualize that in some way, again, my, my trite example was, okay, let's ditch a lot of some of the, the, uh, the just aesthetic stuff or, or the, uh, the secondary stuff. And if, if the essence of what we need to do when we gather is to sing together, well, let's do that simply. Let's just, let's do that. Sit in a circle uh, and, and sing Kumbaya or whatever, whatever, you know, whatever content mm, that you think okay. is theologically relevant or important and, and, and adopt some sort of practice. Literally, you have to do the things, you know, it's, it's, this is not rocket science. Liturgy is, is the work of the people and liturgies move us, are meant to be formative experiences. Uh, to help us create sort of second nature impulses that orient us toward whatever it is that the goal of th that institution is. So if it's a church and the goal of the orient and the goal is to orient us to being Christ-like or being worshipers of God or whatever, then it would make sense that we mechanically practice things that help us do that. And so, yes, yes. Uh, and so that, that, Again, that th there isn't one narrow, one prescriptive way to do that, and there isn't certain materials that are, I think, inherently better, um, like content kinds of songs that you sing that might do that. I think there are things that we do that aren't helpful. You know what I mean? Like that we could we could recognize and do away with. But but constructing what is helpful is going to be very determin is is deter uh, on that group of people. And their context and their cultural sensibility, okay. yeah, and and their impulses. You know what I mean. And so yeah. I think you do need to lean into your culture and your impulses, so as to create a mechanic that helps you do that thing. That thing might be countercultural. I would agree with what you and uh, Jarrell said in the previous episode that there might be friction in 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 agreeing to do this thing, but it it doesn't need to be for just because because there's some way to recover that was once the thing. And that's why it's frictional. Uh, no, no, there, I think what you're saying is there has to be, um, there has, you have to be living in a line with your, uh, with integrity, with your values, your principles, um, and be very intentional about how your practices match what you're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, th to me, that just makes sense. And maybe that's too high of a standard to hold, you know, uh, the ecclesial institutions to, but, uh, but it just seems like that that kind of makes sense. Now, that should translate beyond the activity of congregational song um, into other sort of practices as well that we don't have time to get into this in this conversation. But, uh, but you would hope that there's some sort of bridge there. And if anything, and if there's not a direct application, things don't have to have these, like, again, I think sometimes we get a little modalistic, like this has to represent this or this has to like function for this way. If nothing else, hopefully the experience of musicking in a congregation or just the experience of music, let's drop the ethnomusicology terms for a second, should provide hopefully the evocative or imaginative space and inspirational space for people to then move into these sort of like vocations that are elucidated in the texts of songs or in the experience of the just the sonic thing, the, the, the musical substance itself. Than the you know the notes the yeah the, the melodies the harmonies the rhythms oh yeah well thanks will for sharing all of that and i i think we could have 
a whole maybe season of just exploring <laughs> that these past two episodes. Um, and I mean, if Benjamin Crosby would actually, I doubt it, but if he, if he listened to these two episodes, I'd be curious to hear what he would have to say as well in response to what we've said. Um, and I hope that next season, and at the end of today's episode, we'll we'll talk a little bit about next season. But I hope that we can continue some of the threads that we leave on leave unfinished now next season because we'll be discussing similar themes. But um, there's there's a lot to say. But but thank you. And and um, that what you said about people standing in a circle and singing reminds me of um, how I think a, a lot of Anabaptists. Um, worship, which, which, um, and some other traditions, which is more simple, and and perhaps Quakers as well, um, and so that that kind of leads us to the the first episode that we'll discuss this season. Um, unless there were any final things you wanted to say about about uh, congregational uh, singing. Yeah, I guess maybe just uh, quickly wrap up on uh, on that. One is there are plenty of, I think. One of the things that I've noticed in, in, in our conversations in general, and then I think in these last two conversations is, I love how you guys have sort of gone to sort of your sort of reflexive experiences of these songs and, and the, the text there within. I think there are, if the listener's really interested in this particular field and, and the intersection of, of music and or congregational singing or, or quote worship, and vocation. There are lots of resources out there available that that a simple Google search will will bring you toward things like the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship up at Calvin College in Michigan, but then things that like St. Andrews in Scotland. Uh, there's there's and they're not all academic too. There's I mean, like, or at least super heady and, and unintelligible to people who don't, you know, spent years cultivating weird vocabulary. Uh, but there are lots of resources, uh, lots of commentators, and there are, there are people from outside your home tradition, I imagine, who have something valuable to share that might, you know, uh, challenge the ways in which you perceive that. And I would encourage our listeners to to reach out into those spaces as well if they really are taking this seriously or concerned about things that are happening in their own contexts. Um, to push pause for a moment uh, and and. You're, it's not unique to have these concerns or or or, or like uh, or or notions about about things going right or wrong, as it were, sometimes. Um, and uh, uh, take confidence that uh, uh, there's 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 uh, there's a lot there uh, to, to to know and to experience. So, anyways, I don't know if that says much of anything, but yeah, I think. Uh, I, I'm I'm looking forward to stumbling through some more of this with you and Jarrell in the next <laughs> in the next uh, season as well. So yeah, I guess we can proceed and yeah. take a look back at uh, some of our other guests and tie it all together here in a neat bow. <laughs> yeah, well, you mentioned the different traditions, and I think that that reminds me of just the the various traditions we've covered. So the first one from Tim Harvey. Um, which was episode 32. He's a he's an Anabaptist pastor, and I think we've had three ordained people on uh, as guests at least in this um, last half. So that he was one. The second was the following episode with Ryan Fasani, um, a church planter in the Church of the Nazarene, and then uh, more recently my interview with um, Will Berry about Rich Mullins. He's an Episcopalian priest, and so I think there's a lot more representation from the different Christian traditions that we, we, that's missing. But I think that's a, quite a good 
um, for a pretty a pretty vast range of having um, like the more liturgical side with Episcopalianism and the the low church quote unquote um, side with Anabaptist and Church of the Nazarene somewhere in the middle. But um, but yeah, so we the the first conversation with Tim Harvey, um, uh, just what really stood out to me there was um, the his how for him ministry is is being uh, tending the flock of the of the people and and I could really sense the heartbreak after COVID nineteen of um, of um, people cutting ties with the church because of having different views on the vaccination or things like that. Um, the ne next episode with Ryan Fasani as well, some similarities and some differences, but I could also, th there was a real like soul searching that I, that I picked up on in listening to your conversation with him. Um, and so it was interesting to have those two back to back. And then um, we had, and, and feel free to jump in, but I'll just run through the list. Sure. Um, then we, I just did a solo episode on Thomas Merton, um, concluding the five episodes of this book. Um, and um, I will just, I would, one, one of the, my takeaways from that was just how for him, um, it's it, vocation and the, the, the vocation of writing goes beyond the act of writing itself to a deeper one where you are um, opening yourself up to God. You are um, generating a contemplative um, approach to life. And that, um, that works its way into one's writing. And that's one of the themes that I, I hope we'll, that I think we'll talk about later on, that, at least for me that I found in all of these episodes um, was understanding vocation beyond one's job or beyond one's work. And I think that's one of the ways that I changed over, over the season is, um, is um, at the beginning um, for me, vocation, I, I, I understood it more as um, one's work, what one does. But um, towards the end, I've, it's kind of broadened and I've um, realized, or at least um, through the conversations with people, through my own thinking about it, through my own life experience, that um, it's so much broader than that. And, and, um, and how we prioritize, um, how we prioritize how we understand vocation is important. And what I mean by that is, um, um, we, we, you and I have kind of developed three tiers. The first one being the universal, the second one being the kind of forms or the, the jobs or the work that people do. And the third one being the very personal and the, um, the uh, you know, our unique gifts or abilities and personalities. And what I would say is I, before at the beginning, I was probably prioritizing the second tier um, and as, as someone who, who has loved writing ever since I was really young um, and going to college, thinking about what I would do and even going to seminary, studying writing as a form of ministry, that was really my focus was this form that I thought my life would take as a writer. Um, mm -hmm. But I've begun to realize that as important as that is, it's not as important as the, the broader universal calling. Mm -hmm. um, and, and many of our guests have described that calling in different ways. Um, I think of uh, you, I mean, I, I know you used the image of a river. Um, yeah. And I think we also talked about um, loving God and loving our neighbor. Um, Will Berry talked about um, receiving God's love. Mm -hmm. uh, that it's a calling to first receive God's love and then offer it to others. We've talked about it in terms of um, following Christ. Um, um, in, in, my, in my conversation with Scott Stevens on Madeline Lengel, 
um, the, the theme that emerged there was um, how we're called to be like the Virgin Mary and how she uh, was called to be the mother of Christ, to bear Christ within her. And mm -hmm. so we have a similar calling of bearing Christ and, be, and allowing him to grow in us and to transform us. And that's another way that we've talked about the universal calling. All that to say, um, I guess one of my main takeaways from this season has been just, and even in my own life of trying to apply this is that's the most important thing to focus on. And the other aspects such as what I'll do for work um, um, and even, yeah, and how writing fits in with it in my context, that, um, that finds its proper place when I first um, am, am, um, am seeking to love God, when I'm first loving the, try, seeking to love the people in my life, seeing them as, um, as the people I'm called to. Um, and I know we've, I, I, you've probably heard, I've heard lots of stories of people and I, and I can see it in myself as well. And I think some of our guests have mentioned this too, um, when they talk about the tension between their work and their family life, they often, I sensed um, sometimes a little bit of regret. They would say like, I, or something, or something that they wish to strive for more is, um, uh, I think of AJ Seeley, um, several others, just make getting the balancing right. And, yeah. um, and, and so I think that's, um, that's just something that I, I've learned through this. Um, yeah. And then, but yeah, do you want to continue on um, the, the remainder of the ones I didn't mention? Sure. Sure. And I'll just, yeah, I mean, I think you've kind of summed up each of these pretty well. Uh, I think the only one that maybe didn't come up there was a conversation with Valencio, but maybe, and, and that's, that's actually works well as a segue because he, he might embody this concept the best maybe yeah. of, of, of the list uh, uh, or at least articulated it in such a way that, that seems the clearest that uh, by, by adopting uh, a sort of a posture of, of, one humility, but just uh, a posture of of openness and and just sort of very uh, purposeful and yet generic uh, uh, gratitude and appreciation for life, uh, extension of grace and love to others. That that has informed his own sort of trajectory into the into the weeds, as it were, of different kinds of jobs and careers and 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 ways of, of being in the world, which is, which is vocation. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's so interesting to hear. I, I, I'd be remiss not to say that I started where you started. I sort of started one tier zoomed out even more, um, knowing that I would be challenged this, this season through hearing people talk about real specific ways in which their, their lives have sort of taken on meaning and they've, they've practiced things and, they have this sense of like profound calling to a thing. I think I've always, not always, but I've, as of, you know, the last decade or so really struggled with, with wanting to identify uh, or, or think of vocation in those terms. Um, and so I, it, I think you and I sort of have maybe come back to some sort of strange middle point <laughs> okay. and, and, and met in the middle because I, where I definitely am a fan of the universal call and 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 the priority that should take, um, I wonder what sort of like even even connecting the thread of congregational singing, or or practice or 
formative practices, what sort of elements exist out there that help us understand that universal call or, or invite us into that or paint that picture of vocation for us? What songs do we sing that do that? Uh, some do, you know, and some, there's a lot of, and, but at the same time, we might be critical of those sorts of things as being uh, a little too nebulous or if, if we're really negative, vapid, you know what I mean? Cause they just say kind of generic stuff. Oh, love God. Yeah. Duh. Okay. Or like, or oh, let's be Christ-like. What is that? You know, like g- give me something a little more concrete. Mm. And what I think our guests have illustrated is, is that that can be a good starting point and an entree then into concrete action that, that are, are and concrete actions that are um, that are generated and based on their their desires, you know, and their their capabilities or their their aspiring to be helpful. That 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 first filter, that lens, if you will, colors the way in which they then see and can engage with the world. That there is this sort of nebulous, hard to pin down sense of like God loves me, and or like. I, I have an opportunity to love God, whatever that means, and and love my neighbor. Now what do I do? You know what I mean? That, that yeah. I, put on, I put on those glasses first. Yeah. And that question. And then, and then I, yeah. Go, go sorry. Well, that question, now what do I do? Um, it kind of echoes our questions. What are we called to do? Um, yeah. and, and I think that gets to what we talked about at the very beginning of the season is discernment. And I just wanted to mention, I was having a conversation with a, a family member who's developed this um, set of resources for, um, for churches in the Anglican context. Um, and and it, it's kind of a, a, a workshop and it's called um, SHAPE, uh, which is a, it's an acronym, something like um, shaping your service to God. And so I'll just briefly there's a reason I'm saying this, but the S stands for um, spiritual gifts. The H stands for heart's desire. The A stands for abilities. P stands for personality. And E stands for experience. And um, what this what they found in doing these workshops is over time, if someone does the workshop um, once and then a few years later does the same workshop, some of their answers um, and some of the um, input that the, the, the fellow attendees share about them change over their life. As they're discerning what God is calling them to do next, there's a dynamic um, change that takes place. Because for instance, the letter E, experience, we gain new experiences as we, as we go along. And so the shape of our life changes um, as we experience that. Um, but all that to say is that um, I think in, in agreeing with what you're saying, um, when we're asking what do I do, that's that's seems to be a question that um, that we need to be asking like every day, um, every moment of our lives. It's not just something like I thought. It's not something that's settled once and for all when um, right. when one is eighteen. Um, you know, one <laughs> yeah, hears yeah. He, hears a calling to do this, and they do that for the rest of their lives. Um, I think even if you ask people who are like that, they would probably, and I have spoken to pastors, for instance, who have said they're not sure what, what God's calling. They're not sure what they're going to do when they grow up, even though they're adults. Um, that, this kind of understanding that our calling is a dynamic thing. Um, and, and I guess that makes sense. Even in, in relationships, friendships, uh, maybe marriages, it's, it's dynamic too in the sense that, um, I mean, in the sense of marriage, it's a calling for life we Christians believe, but there's still this unfolding 
um, awareness of who the other person is, who you are, that we're learning about as we walk with the spouse, for instance. Yeah. Um, and, or in the, maybe in a, in a monastic context, which I don't have experience in, but there's a, there's a real rootedness and groundedness. And yet um, I, I have the sense that probably every day is different for, for monastics because just because of um, their relationships are growing and evolving. Um, and to give another example, Malcolm Geitz, who we both, whose poetry we both enjoy, he's a poet and an Anglican priest. Um, he's written about how um, writing po poems with a structure um, is is both con uh, constricting because you have to follow the the rules of that structure, but it's also very freeing and liberating because um, because the very lines of that structure force you to think more creatively. Um, and so, just thinking about vocation in that sense, where there's um, where there's both um, there's both a form. There's both perhaps some constants in our life um, and in our vocation, but there's also a, an evolution and a devel development that takes place. And, um, and I know that I'm speaking very nebulously here as well. Um, maybe some, uh, but maybe some examples would be good, but, um, but I guess, so, so to give an example, um, and uh, so I've mentioned um, like writing is something that I've been um, really committed to. And I, I thought that's what I was called to do. And um, when I was in university, I was very naive and I thought that I might, uh, I was so, so good that I could just get a job as a writer. But I, I soon learned that um, it's really difficult to find paid work as a writer. Um, but anyway, I, um, I went to seminary, studied writing as a form of ministry. Um, but after that, I, that led me to the Isle of Iona, where I was um, working as a first a musician and then as an administrator. And um, so that didn't really use writing, but, um, uh, but it, it was still a form of ministry in a different way. After that, I was part of a church pastoral team on a church. Now I'm doing proofreading um, and, and, and also doing foreshadow. So I'm using writing. It's not part of my paid work, but it's still a ministry that I'm using. Um, and I, I know that's probably not very clear, but what I'm trying to say is that there's been a thread throughout several threads throughout my life, but um, it hasn't gone exactly how I thought it would go. Like it, um, and I've learned a lot along the way. And um, I think in terms of writing, I think all of us have, you know, unique experiences, uh, abilities, strengths, weaknesses that we're called to use. Um, and that's part of, that's the third tier that kind of forms into the second tier. But I guess what I'm really trying to say is that um, I think that in my life, if, if I'm not pursuing the first tier first, which is um, just living in, in orientation towards God, then I think my life might be going, could, could go wonky. So I could be, so for instance, if I'm just trying, if my priority is trying to make it as a writer, um, I'm not actually um, fulfilling that calling the way it could be fulfilled. It's kind of, I'm not in, I'm not connected to the source of my life, um, which I think I would be if I'm pursuing the universal calling. Um, so if I can, if I can seek God's kingdom first, to put it in the words of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, then all these things will be added. Um, if I can, 
if I have the right priorities, then everything I think falls into place. Um, and that just brings up another thing I wanted to mention um, about, because uh, I was talking about our talents. And we, uh, early in our, in our earlier uh, recap episode, we talked about the parable of the talents and, and two of the ways that it tends to be interpreted. Um, the first way is um, usually we interpret the, the parable in terms of like what literal talents do we have or abilities do we have that we can use for God. I just give an example of writing, but you know we could we could list a whole other um, list of examples such as you know repairing things or music or various things. And then the the second way that it's often understood or interpreted is um, seeing it as well. Actually, the the um, the master was being unjust, and so the servant was this the servant that had done nothing with their talent was. Um, was kind of protesting against the injustice. But I've been thinking about a third way to understand the parable, which isn't so much different than, than, than what we've mentioned, but it is in a way. And that third way is in line with what we've been talking about with regard to the universal vocation. And that is rather than understanding the talent as representing um, an ability we have or yeah. some kind of gift we have, which is very um, individualistic, and and very kind of um, um, I don't know. It seems I wonder if uh, people have interpreted that that so strongly in previous eras as ours, where it's so focused on our personal. You know, we take personality tests and we want to know our astrology sign, various things like that. Rather than interpreting that way, if we look at it more universally in terms of the talents representing, uh, for instance, the the level, the gift, uh, the amount of faith God has given us, for instance, Jesus says in other parts of the gospel, um, with whatever measure you use, it will be used for you. Or, or another, another example is, um, something in, in the, in the, in the new Testament that everyone's been given a different level of, uh, with what you've been entrusted, like with how you use what you've been entrusted, that will be given back to you. Um, and, something along those lines where we, we each have been di given, given different uh, levels of faith and, um, and how we use that is, uh, will be kind of rewarded to us in proportion. Um, so, so what I mean, what I'm trying to say is, uh, or another way to say it would be, how do we use the gospel? How do we use, how do we follow this universal calling? Um, if we see the talents as, um, the amount of perhaps energy we have, the amount of strength we put towards um, towards living for God uh, and living for in service to others. Um, so that does that make sense? More of a general um, yeah. interpretation rather than uh, very personalistic. So using more of the first tier of vocation rather than the third tier. I have a couple. Yeah, I have a couple of things that come up in that that I think might help. <clears throat> connect some dots and and develop those ideas a little bit one i think something you highlight and you illustrate is is that no there is no experience that we can have that is devoid of formative quality uh everything that happens or that we participate in or do necessarily transforms us and impacts us in some ways it does it's just there's no there's no way around that 
um, even the most mundane things. Like you said, you imagine monks have very different days day to day. Even if they're doing literally the same thing every day, they're not stagnant uh, inanimate objects. You know what I mean? Even an inanimate object experiences change at a molecular level on some, you know, the wind blew and several atoms fell off, you know, or they lost a couple electrons. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but uh, there is no such thing as full on like stagnation. You know, there's, there's entropy, sure. And there's, but there's certainly growth as well and, and change, just simply change. Uh, so I think that that's something to keep in mind when we think about vocation for sure and that our activities do not come back void you know what i mean uh they depending upon then how you uh interpret them or experience them reflect upon them they they may have positive or negative consequence to you but they certainly are not benign two i think uh as you talked about sort of like the example you give of, of writing and leaning in to a particular discipline or sometimes getting caught in that mode or that form. Um, but then realizing, recognizing that you really want to just get back to the original thing because that's what helps orient you and informs that form. Um, I wonder if there's, and this is just me, you know, thinking out loud and, and wondering quite literally, but I wonder if there's a way, and I think some of our guests demonstrate this a little bit, even if unintentionally or, or not by naming it as such, but if there's a way to flatten that hierarchy of priority or like or or phasing of of and filters for vocation, we've we've identified a three tiered system. And we even said tier, but tier necessarily means right top, middle, bottom. Um, uh, mm -hmm. If you're understanding tier in vertical terms, uh, I wonder if there's a way in which all of those things sort of sort of mush together and create and they, they happen they can happen in simultaneity and that's really the sweet spot if yeah that makes sense. And, yeah. and and when i say and when i say that i don't mean that like that that all of the things intersect properly and you you've succeeded in doing all the right things but i mean that kind of what scott stevens talked about you know that we're the human being not human doing that mm -hmm. we're not weighed upon we, we don't have this like conscious, like, I mean, like we said, I, we do think it is important to be conscientious and conscious of, of understanding what vocation and, and calling is. But part of that understanding may, maybe means letting go of, of this hierarchical prioritization and that we might experience the fullness of God or, or honoring God or being loved by God in and through even the most, even our sort of third tier um, very specialized activity, um, that it, there, there's not something like we talked about this in the mid season too. Like when I said, well, what do you mean love God? You know what I mean? Like, what is it? What, what does that act? What does that activity mean to love? Like when you say, hey, well, I'm going to start with this. Um, or if I say I'm going to like my, my first step is to, um, seek the kingdom of God. <laughs> Does that mean I take up my binoculars and look to the sky? Or uh, what, does, what, what are the activities that promote that? And the activity might very well be leaning into the thing you're passionate about. And you have to see those things kind of have to conflate, I think, in some ways, or at least intersect and interlope and overlap and all those other cool words. Mm -hmm. um, they have to do that to, to, to liberate us from like the, the, the anxiety of, of 
going through the right steps so that we, we're doing again, so that we're doing the right thing. Because we're always you're right. We're asking. We're always asking ourselves, well, what are we doing? Like, well, what do I do now in lieu of this? And we think of ourselves as starting with sort of like that triangle, right? Belief. Uh, all the churches did it for a while, like be belong, belief, become, or something like that. I don't know. And we have this sense of like order and sequence to that, but we need to think about those things as happening. I, th I think we need to start thinking about those things as happening in simultaneity. And finally, I do love the faith talent uh, parable thing. I would say, I don't think I would, my only hesitation or my only like, uh, not hesitation, but I don't think faith is given. I think faith is something that we have to like generate it is something that we cultivate. Like you don't like um, we might sing sometimes or pray to give me faith. You know what I mean? Which is a very earnest petition, right? It's a very like uh, noble quest to ask for more of that thing in whatever the case may be. But it's something that you sort of like um, you, you are responsible for. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know what I mean? The, yeah. And, and, but, but it works. I think it still works in that sense then too, because then like you do have, um, with 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 more faith in a thing, whatever that thing is, I mean the your your activity in it, your your sense of agency, your sense of purpose, your sense of trajectory, all those things are a lot more um, uh, not just stabilized but energized by by a faith sometimes, and faith with wisdom, I think too, so that when you're energized toward a certain activity, toward a certain doing or way of being that faith is informed also by those, again, simultaneous experiences that hopefully continue to shape, to use that term also, <laughs> how you experience um, the, the, the world of which you're a part and how you navigate uh, calling, which then comes back full circle to, yeah, I think I, think I, I, I continue to lean toward calling just being this very like, open-ended invitation to apprehend and to take hold of and then to to feel liberated i mean you shouldn't we shouldn't if anything i hope listeners don't feel anxious if if nothing more we've dispelled some of the anxiety that comes with the terms like vocation and words like calling that like you're not going to be sifting through pages of bible or 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 sitting sweating through hour-long prayers in a closet somewhere wondering you know what it is you're supposed to do with your life or what are you called to do or that like you're missing the kingdom of god somehow but that like again just take a breath <laughs> you know what i mean uh and uh and and sort of relax but 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 relax into into the love of god relax into um uh your sense of self and then and then move forward you know with some degree of i think confidence that like what you do um, is, is, is how you be, <laughs> if you will. Uh, and if you be good, <laughs> you probably will do good. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's, that reminds me of what Jarell and I were talking about in the, in the last episode um, of how, what wondrous love is this? How it's, the song begins with um, an awareness of God's wondrous love for us. And, and then it moves from there um, kind of to eternity. And, and so seeing that as a, I like what you say about um, kind of relaxing into vocation, not stressing about it, but 
first, and going back to what Will Berry said, is um, is we're called to first know that God loves us. And so um, so resting in that love, um, and then from there, um, perhaps that can give us more guidance into what we do with that love. And, and I like your, your term faithfulness because that's a more dynamic and relational term than faith, it's, which can often seem uh, stagnant. Yeah. And, I think, um, and I think that's kind of being faithful. It also requires our participation. Um, it's not just uh, a passive thing that's imposed upon us, but we are called to, to live out our faith. And, and so, and I, and, and we see in the parable of the talents, we might see that the first two, the first two servants are being dynamic with what they've been given. They're, they're not just being passive. They're not, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, they're, they're being faithful with what they've been giving, given. Um, and so, and the third one, the third one isn't. Um, and I think maybe what that word faithfulness might be a way to, to wrap up this, um, at least for me, you, uh, wrap up this wrap up of calling is perhaps we are called to be faithful. And, um, and, and when we think about, so what is my calling? What is my vocation? How does that look in the day to day? Um, how can we be, how can I be faithful today to the people in my life, to God, in, to the, in the various choices that I'm faced with and the various tasks that I have. Um, and so I, so I, I wonder if that's a way to kind of get at what you were saying about flattening things, um, like. is, is seeking faithfulness, um, to, to God through whatever we're doing and, um, and through whatever challenges we may be facing. And, um, and, um, and, I'll, and after this, I'll, I'll just, this will be my last, my last words before and you can, you can say anything else you want to say after that. But my, what I, what, what sticks with me is uh, the image of the Virgin Mary when mm. the angel Gabriel came to her and, um, and, um, and said, you know, God, you are, you are, God's, um, uh, you are well, much well loved by God. And so that kind of gets at the first point we mentioned is resting in God's love. The first thing she hears is that God favors her and, and loves her. And then, um, and then the angel tells her that she's been given this, this task, um, that comes out of that love. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me, as you have said, she responds faithfully. And in that, maybe all three of the tears come together. Um, she, and she becomes, you know, she becomes who God has made her to be. Um, and she lives into the fullness. If she had said no, um, she might still, she would still be Mary. She would have, God would still love her, I'm sure, but she would be missing out on this, um, on this grand, you know, this, this grand opportunity, I guess, to um, to be the mother of 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 God, and um, and so thinking about us as being called to be similar to the Virgin Mary, um, how can we be faithful to whatever comes you know whatever comes up in our day in our day to day life? Um, and a lot of like a lot of the Desert Fathers and and and, um, and saints in Christian history have have understood that God allows things to happen to us, like the things that we experience in our day. Are allowed by God, whether they be our joy, joyful or sorrowful, and how do we respond to that? How do we respond faithfully to what life presents us? Not to say that everything, not to say that God 
wants evil to happen in the world. And there's this, there's a level of our own choices that take place too. But um, perhaps uh, thinking about our calling to be faithful is with whatever choices we face with each day, um, how can we be faithful? And, and in so doing, um, trust that the more faithful we are responding, Christ is being more fully formed in us and we're being you know, more becoming more like him and in, in, in the sense of more developing, you know, virtues and uh, developing um, kind of forgiveness for, to people who, to, uh, who offend us developing um, maybe, maybe the Beatitudes are a good pointer too. those traits that are, that are listed in the Beatitudes um, pe being peacemakers, being um, pursuing righteousness, um, being poor of spirit, all of those, those things are being formed in us um, as we are faithful. So those are my final thoughts in response to what we've been talking about. Yeah. I, I, I don't have much to add to that. I think you, you nailed it there and that faithfulness, I think, and the, to use your ortho, new orthodox, new orthodox, no, it's not, that means something different, but your the theotokos, right? The, yes. The, the, the mother of God, the bearer of God, right? Um, um, that Marian sort of, theological role if we understand it metaphorically you know what i mean because i mean it does factor fiction aside it does serve a sort of metaphorical dimension for us as well a readable uh, metaphor there that you've i think illustrated well and uh if there's nothing else about the incarnation and and that story that that uh that we should should glean it's that, you know, um, there, there is this just flattening that God, God's in it with us, you know what I mean? That we, we experience things on the same plane, you know what I mean? And that, and that God might be seen in that plane, uh, in the people around us and in, in and through the activities and in and through pretty, very like radically simple ways of orientating ourselves, um, to the needs of the world around us is the way in which we experience the person that is God, but also the activities of God and the, the fundamental activities, therefore, of the, of the human, if we want to draw that line. So, and that is vocation. That is, that is our calling, I think. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, nailed it. No, uh, I think uh, hopefully, oh, you know, uh, by all means, listener, if you uh, if you have different if you've come to different conclusions after hearing us ramble on and on uh, or or had get things that you thought the guest said that uh, struck a chord with you for better or for worse, do uh, do email us at uh, foreshadowmagazine at gmail.com or reach out on social media platforms. We could use we could use a little more traffic on that Instagram. Uh, I know, I know you all are on the gram, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're, we're happy to continue to engage, especially over the, the upcoming break, which we should probably pivot to talking a little bit about now as we wrap things up today. Uh, next season, uh, Josh has already, uh, uh, sort of forecasted, if you will, that we will be dealing with concepts of, uh, worship and pilgrimage, uh, sort of extensions, I guess, of calling and vocation you might you might uh, conclude and uh, we're excited to bring like Josh said Jarrell onto the uh, the podcast team and an interviewer 
capacity, uh, capacity. Um, Joel's obviously, uh, like Josh and I, and a musician as well, perhaps the most, uh, capable of the lot. <laughs> uh, and so I'm sure he, he has a, a different way of engaging with and experiencing the world. That's definitely unique to Jarrell, uh, in, in all the best ways. And, and he's going to bring a lot to the table, I'm sure. Uh, as we continue to grow as a platform, as a podcast, but also as a literary magazine, we do encourage you to uh, inquire about ways of uh, support uh, through listenership, etc. And uh, yeah, uh, we're looking forward to the next season and, and taking a little bit of a break. Um, and at the same time, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this season. So uh, I don't know, Josh, you got anything to add to that? Um, no, and just uh, thanks again to all, all of our guests and um, to our listeners. And yeah, it's been fun and will this season. And I look forward to exploring new themes with you next year. Absolutely. And so with that, Foreshadow is an online spiritual literary magazine rooted in the Christian faith. Our website is foreshadowmagazine.com. And we are on those various social media platforms. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to now. And be sure to share it through your own social channels. That's Josh. I'm Will. And this has been the forecast for today and this season. <laughs>